Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. So, by this point, Pokemon Sword and Shield has taken the world by storm. And it is the fastest selling Switch game, and it also has the largest US launch of any Pokemon title. And this is all in spite of the massive amounts of vitriol the game has inspired. I should get a reward for resisting the urge to say the Dynamax amount of vitriol. But yeah, for all the angry fans out there who are disillusioned with a Pokemon company and Game Freak, I guess Game Freak won out in the end, but uh, I don't really care. I still like the game. I know a lot of people choose to ignore an individual issue because they'd rather make a general statement. Like, during the Wii U era, a lot of people wanted to boycott Xenoblade X because of, like, a bunch of censorship in it. Like, the like the school-age girl character, she wasn't wearing, like, a bikini or something in one of her alternate costumes, and people wouldn't buy the game because of the censorship. The thing is, they weren't boycotting the game just because they couldn't look at a school-age girl in a swimsuit. At least, I hope that's not the reason they boycotted the game. They just hate censorship in general. And I'm imagining it's a lot like this. Sword and Shield aren't offensively broken games like Superman 64 or Sonic 06. They just don't want to support all the behind-the-scenes decisions that Game Freak had made. Which, I understand. I get that people don't want to support uh, a lot of the things they did, because I, I did read up on some of it, and some of it is a little sketchy, but as for me personally, I didn't have a dog in this race. I don't really have a problem buying the game. And if you had a problem, that's fine. Don't buy it. Don't play it. Just don't get self-righteous about it. For example, a lot of parents would buy Pokemon for their kids, and I'll tell you, those little kids don't care about the Pokedex, they don't care about the animations not being good, they don't care that the tree in the wild area is ugly, don't make fun of people for buying this game for their kids, that's ridiculous. I guess I'm implying that it's at least okay to harass older fans for enjoying the game, but uh, no, no. Don't do that either. Don't be a jerk. Now, with all that said, I do think it's a little bit ridiculous that the animations are still on par with the 3DS entries. And it turns out there are a lot more removed Pokemon than I first realized. I thought, oh, they only removed the starters, the legendaries, and some of the other ones. But, uh, no, they cut out, like, a good, like, 400-ish. It's like half, if not slightly more than half, of the grand total of Pokemon, that that is more worrisome, I'll admit. But, to be honest, I kind of saw this coming. For as powerful as hardware becomes, we're approaching 1,000 Pokemon. We're at like 800 or so now, I think. Sooner or later, we had to reach a point where not all of them could fit into a game anymore. It was just a matter of time. I wouldn't be surprised if they were just kind of ripping off the band-aid now with Sword and Shield. Just, when the time comes, we'll be used to the idea that not every Pokemon will be around. 
It is my hope that with all the bad press, Game Freak will realize that they have to try harder with the next one, but, uh, fastest-selling Switch game and all that? For all we know, they'll feel comfortable enough where they are. A lot of YouTube comments said things like, Game Freak learned that they don't have to try, and, uh, that sounds a little harsh, but probably closer to the truth than I'd like to admit. We'll just have to see. Yeah, there are administrative problems with Sword and Shield, and I'm not too optimistic about Game Freak's resolve. I will say I, I respect the fact that they stuck to their guns on this, but it, it would have been good to have more Pokemon still. It, it, overall, it's not enough to turn me off the games. I still got them after all. Well, I got Shield after all. I don't think it's worth harassing other people who enjoy the games for what they are. That's my bottom line. I went into this game with low expectations. My favorite mainline Pokemon games are Pokemon Moon and both halves of the black and white story. From a lot of the honest criticism I'd heard going into this, I knew it wasn't going to be as good as those games, at least from a story perspective. And story is why I like those Pokemon games, story and characters. So with tempered expectations, I think I was able to get honest enjoyment from Pokemon Shield. I'll admit that the storyline is pretty weak, though. In most games, there is an emphasis on going to the gyms, getting your badges, but there is also a subplot about the local criminals that eventually culminates in you dealing with the legendary Pokemon from the box art. Yeah, we don't really get that this time. The story is all about the gyms and the gym badges. You get all the way to the final rival battles in the end before you actually encounter the true villains as villains. And even then, it's only for a few brief diversions. Anything related to these villains or the legendary Pokemon are always handled by side characters who urge you to just focus on your quest while they do the important stuff. It's nice that the champion actually does things and is a part of the story, has an actual character, isn't just a final boss, but it does come at the cost of a lot of player involvement in the grand storyline. I felt like we'd missed a few episodes once it came time to actually fight the bosses. Team Yell is kind of a mixed bag, but I think I've come around on them. They're easily the lamest of the villain teams in the entire series, but then you realize that it's on purpose. They're not actually villains, they're just trainers from one of the gyms, and they're trying to help their hometown's rising star make it to the championship. They're obnoxious hooligans, but they're not criminals. It's almost like a parody of the evil teams. Either way, it's a subversion of what you've come to expect. I like Team Yell and their role in the world, but I don't like them as a villain team. Once you stop trying to look at them in that context, stop trying to compare them to Team Skull or Team Rocket or Team Magma and Aqua, you can kind of look at them for what they actually are, I think it becomes a lot easier to appreciate them. Gen 1 pandering is alive and well, but it's not as bad as I feared it would be. I had zero faith going into this that any of the other generations would be thrown a bone. 
but it's not true. This time, there are regional variants of Pokemon outside of Generation 1. Gen 5 gets alternate forms of Stunfisk and the Yamask line. Gen 3 gets Bad Creepypasta Corsola and its own new evolution. That's not even going into Zigzagoon. The, one of the gym leaders is actually said to come from Hoenn, which is where Gen 3 took place. He's not from Kanto. While every Pokemon can Dynamax, except maybe the Wolves, if I'm remembering correctly, only a few of them can Gigantamax. Now, it took me the entire game to notice that there's a difference between Dynamax and Gigantamax, and I still don't really know the finer details, but out of all the creatures that can Gigantamax, most of them are either new Gen 8 Pokemon or, of course, Gen 1. There are a couple oddballs, surprisingly, but otherwise it's exactly what you'd expect. I think the gripes with Gen 1 pandering are valid, but I also think they've been talked to death. There's really nothing else I can say about it. I know a guy who's hated Pokemon for a long time, but he decided to give this game a chance. He's been a little out of the loop, though, so he's earnestly confused why anyone cares about the Gen 1 pandering. I mainly chalk that up to being out of the loop, but it is kind of interesting to hear different perspectives on the matter. I've come to realize that they're never going to stop Gen 1 pandering, ever. But it does kind of make me wonder, why did they even bother with any other new generations then? But then they do things like the stuff in this game, like all the new Hoenmons, kind of. Stuff like that makes me wonder, maybe they will listen. You can never quite tell with Pokemon. This game does do some good things. My favorite thing by far is the gym leader battles. They have really good presentation, what with the build-up, the dynamic battle music that incorporates crowd chants, having, having giant, giant Pokemon, Pokemon beating, beating the, the stuffing out of each, each other... other. It makes each gym something that I can look forward to instead of going, oh, okay, I guess we're at this part now. They even finally give us a Dark-type gym, and it's a special event in the story, way different from all the other gyms. I think the rivals are all enjoyable, too. Hop gets a little annoying with constantly battling. We fight him three times before our first gym. Calm down, buddy. But... Seeing his reactions to losing all the time and seeing how his own character arc plays out, it gave me a soft spot for him. I felt similar for, uh, okay, I like to call him Bede, but he might be Bade or, or Bed, Bidet. Oh, oh, please don't be Bidet. <laughs> so Bede, I think his arc went in an interesting direction. Marnie was a little undercooked, though. She only really showed up a couple times, and then she gets a fight at the end of the game because, oops, we need to put Marnie somewhere. But she does get the best music in the game, so there's that. Also, this game goes a lot easier on you with the tutorials. While I had trouble getting into the game at first due to how easy and straight-lined everything was, I did notice that they weren't inundating me with things that I'd already known from the past games. That was nice. Also, making Dynamax its own system and not attaching it to held items like with the Mega Evolutions or the Z-Moves, that's also something I appreciate. 
I'm a sucker for spectacle, so sacrificing all my held item slots just so I could Mega Evolve or bust out a Z move, it made me a little upset. I didn't really use a lot of held items in this game until near the end, but it was a nice option. A lot of people don't appreciate that the EXP share is active at all times, and I'm like, okay, Gen 1-er. Alright, full disclosure, I understand that people want to toggle their difficulty, and I think they should have made that an option for people who don't like the EXP share. I get that. But I really don't see where the fun is in swapping my Pokemon around constantly and helicoptering over to make sure they're all getting the right amounts of experience. Grinding in Pokemon has never been fun for me unless I give myself something else to do to make it fun. Yes, there are fond memories that involve level grinding, but it isn't because of the grinding itself. Cutting out a middleman, having the XP on all the time, it just saves me time, which I appreciate since I have other games I want to play too. Another good detail is all the Britishisms in the game. Once the series started moving from country to country with each generation, they'd been getting better about making them feel authentic. Unova was touted as being based off the United States, but really it just had the aesthetic and nothing else. Kalos and Alola were a lot more authentic. Galar just keeps it going. Like Everyone's mom is referred to as a mum. Televisions are called the telly. Stuff like that. One time in school, I remember I read a fanfic based off Ruby and Sapphire, and it was so obviously written by a British person because Team Magma was using a lot of slang that didn't really fit with the English localization of the game. I think back to that whenever this game turns up the British. And Hop gets the best line in the game. Very early on, he tells his brother, Your pants with directions! That has to be a, a turn of phrase over there, because I've never heard anyone say that before. I guess another thing I can talk about is the Wild Area. I never really liked that name, but the concept for the area works at least. It can be done better, but it works. It's a good way to get more Pokemon into the game without limiting themselves to whatever the geography of Galar lends itself to around each gym. Though, that can also be interpreted as the Wild Area being a dumping ground for whatever Pokemon couldn't fit into the rest of the region. There's not really that much to do in the wilderness, and if there is, I either didn't find it or didn't feel very motivated to try it out. As far as I could tell, it's just catch some Pokemon and do some max raids, which, uh, no. I didn't want to set up multiplayer parties with friends, even if they offered, I just wanted to get through the game. CPU allies in the max raids are apparently really bad, but I didn't do enough to get a feel for them. Yeah, the wild area isn't everything I thought it would be. I figured it would be like a standard Xenoblade setting, where it'd be huge, you could get lost, find all these little side areas, just for the satisfaction of finding them. I don't know if I'd actually appreciate that, though, because that's not really how I play games. But that's what I thought they were pitching to us. You can divert and mess around a little bit, but there's really not that much going on, like I said. At least, not in my reckoning. They say that the weather is a bit randomized, and I don't know how true that is. I felt like it was largely consistent whenever I explored. Like, the stretch outside of Hammerlock, 
I always remember it being hailing there. And this is the most exploration you're getting in the game, by the way. Sword and Shield have only four dungeons, and they're all straight paths, except for maybe the Glimwood Tangle. Though, because I kept looking forward to the gym matches, I didn't really mind the reduced dungeons. That's no excuse for them to be shoddy, of course, but I'm saying I didn't personally have a beef with it. It made it redundant that the scape rope was now a permanent item, I guess, but, uh, we'll get them next time? Unlike Sun and Moon, I can see a lot of spots where this game could benefit from having an updated remake. Pokemon Gun, as people like to call it. Ugh. I shudder to imagine what Swordward and Shieldbert's gun-shaped cousin would look like if they ever made an appearance. What kind of abominable hairstyle would they have? Maybe Pokemon Crown would be a better name, but uh, yeah, a few obvious ideas. Add more Pokemon, hopefully not just Gen 1, but we know most of them would be. Expand the dungeons a bit, maybe give us a Victory Road, even though I don't really miss Victory Road at all. Definitely flesh out the villains a bit more, give Marnie more to do. Maybe expand the post-game too. I didn't hate the post-game, but I thought it was pretty bare-bones. At, at the very least, I think it was a more meaningful resolution for Hop, so there's that. I think this game has the least version differences out of them all. Aside from exclusives, there's not much to report in the way of differences. The gym leaders for Stow on Side and Surchester change, depending on the game, but the puzzles are just reskinned. I liked the gym leaders in this game. On top of enjoying their battles, they all had plenty of personality to them and pretty appealing designs. And no, I'm not just talking about Nessa but she does count. I kind of wish the alternate gym leaders got to appear in some capacity in their opposite games. Maybe that could be done in the remake. You do get to see Melanie's son in her rare league card. That's his only appearance in S.H.I.E.L.D. And after you beat her gym, she even references his existence. I'm not sure if Gordy talks about Melanie and Sword, though, because I didn't play Sword. B and Alistair, though, they don't get anything if you pick the wrong game. But, uh, yeah, I don't think I really cared this much about gym leaders since, uh, Gen 5. To be fair, I consider the trial captains and the kahunas to be a different thing altogether. I don't think there's a single weak link in this chain. One detail I especially like is Kaboo's league cards. He looks exactly the same in both of them, but just one of them, he's younger looking. I didn't even notice the difference at first. I, I think that really just says everything you need to know about him. The, the flavor text is just a bonus at that point. I will say that League cards are a pretty good idea. It's a nice way to learn more lore about some of the principal characters in the story. It's a little confusing how such personal information can be written and just distributed without a problem or care in the world, but... Uh, Whatever. Pokemon always takes one step forward and one step back. They'll introduce a bunch of interesting ideas and then drop half or most of them in the next generation. And whichever ones are kept are balanced out by whichever old concepts they decide to drop. It's almost as though the evolution of the series is purely an accident. 
The BitCast would like you to know that the use of the word evolution was not intended as wordplay. On to today's favorite songs. It's been widely known for a while, but Toby Fox of Undertale fame has contributed to this game's soundtrack with the Battle Tower theme, and, uh, yeah, it's good. I hear it incorporates a song that he made to mess with people on an internet forum once. I don't know if I'd recognize it as Toby Fox without being told, but, uh, I don't know. It's not one of my favorites. I like it, but it's not one of my favorites. As usual, though, I do prefer a lot of the combat-oriented music. It helps that a lot of the fights in the game are spectator sports, so they're really trying to pump you up. It's all part of the framing device. Marnie's theme is a favorite, like I said. It's got that guitar going for it. Probably the most climactic sounding of the rival themes. And that's why I'm glad that the remix for her final battle doesn't really deviate from her normal music that much. I also associate it with my Hatrem finally pulling its weight after I had to babysit it for a good chunk of the game, and it one-shotted Toxicroak, and then evolved to its final form. Oh, like, the, the whole hat in a Hatrem line, th that's like a fan-favorite Pokemon, and like I think all my friends use one. Uh, it's so cute, though. Then, of course, I gotta mention the gym leader music, because that went a long way towards making me enjoy the gym leaders as much as I did. I was actually a bit disappointed when one of the gyms used a different song. It was a good one, but I still prefer this one. And a song that I feel like I shouldn't like as much as I do is the champion battle theme. So, let me get this out of the way. Leon is a typical Pokemon opponent. He's no match for the strongest human player. That's been a constant in Pokemon storyline battles for generations. It's not new. Yeah, it's a little repetitive how characters always refer to him as an undefeated champion. You're bludgeoned over the head with it from the word go. And his outfit is incredibly silly. I don't care about any of that. Leon is introduced almost immediately, and I think it's an effective way of showing the finish line to the player. We all know we're going to fight and dethrone him eventually, so they really try to play it up. They make him this all-star, this absolute Pokemon prodigy all grown up. They keep him active in the plot, doing all the kinds of things you'd like to do. Even when the player and Hop step in to catch Eternatus, I never had the impression that Leon was outmatched. Maybe just a bit tired is all. If the game wants you to know one thing, it's that Leon is the top dog. For crying out loud, his jersey number is just the number one. I'd also heard that his team was actually pretty tough by CPU standards. Even more than that, I didn't have a super effective counter to Charizard. At least, not one that I felt comfortable with. I was dreading fighting that thing for most of the back half of the story. Even worse is that Charizard has a grass move, so a lot of the usual suspects wouldn't have worked for me. Not that I really tried any of the usual suspects, I just ended up having to go in without any dedicated Charizard killers. Apparently Charizard has, like, a grass move, in between also having a rock move, and and his flying and fire. Is Charizard secretly the Avatar? With all the hype-inducing stadium matches and all the build-up to how strong Leon was, I bought into it. I was excited and nervous to throw down with the champion. 
As I fought with his team, switching out my loyal party members one at a time each time he switched his, I got to hear the music. There was a little bit of chiptune in there. It reminded me of the old days of Pokemon. I didn't play during those days, but I felt it. I felt, for better or worse, we've really come a long way. This is how the first main Pokemon game on a console, their first Switch outing, wraps up. It gets even better by remixing the Hall of Fame theme, which I first recognized as the music from Sword and Shield's reveal trailers. So I was getting blasted with memories on two different fronts. Then to make it even better, the crowd starts singing along on top of their chanting and cheering. I really felt like I was accomplishing something. Then I actually got to finish Charizard off with my evolved starter, my fire type. It felt like such a perfect way to end the fight, end the story, and end the entire decade. All those emotions that came from hearing that song, it's its probably still not my favorite track in the game, but it's definitely up there. At least had a really big impact on me. Pokemon Shield and Sword are alright. There are understandable gripes to be had with it, and legitimate reasons to be upset with Game Freak, but I was able to put them aside and enjoy what good there was. Does that make me a vapid sheeple? Well, maybe, I don't know. I like to think I can think for myself, but I've fallen for a lot of games in the past. But sometimes I'm rewarded with that, with an enjoyable experience, so... Who really knows? I'll repeat myself that this isn't my favorite generation, and that I had to lower my expectations, but I'm happy I played this game. There are a lot of things that annoyed me very much, but then I noticed that I'd forgotten about most of them after they were over. I was left with more good memories and feelings than bad. That won't be everyone's story, but it was mine. That's all I have to say about Pokemon Shield. Thanks for listening to the BitCast. And I'll see you on the next one. Listen to Bidcast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.